hello and welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show, where your hosts, Chris and Philly, co-founders of multi-award winning functional medicine practice, serving busy people with energy, mood and gut issues. While busyness, overworking, addictive doing and perfectionism might be the norm, it's not normal and it's a major contributor to health issues. Our goal with this show is to give you a holistic root, root cause approach to healing your body so that you don't have to continue doctor or diet hopping or popping a gazillion supplements hoping something might stick. So get ready to heal your body, get your spark back, deeply connect with yourself and step into the life of your dreams. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show. Great to be here. Super excited to share this podcast episode with you. Recently, we chatted with our good friend, business coach and all-around great bloke, Glenn Carlson. Glenn's awesome. He's got a wealth of experience and knowledge when it comes to juggling entrepreneurship, business growth, and overcoming and preventing body burnout. Glenn helped us out in a pivotal moment of our own business burnout. So we're so excited to have him on our show as he shares his insights on how you can get out of the hustle and grind burnout cycle, look after your health and have epic growth in business and in life. Here's a little bit about Glenn. Glenn Carlson is the co-founder of Denk Global, best known for their award-winning key person of influence book and business accelerator programs. From the chaos of the GFC, Glenn has built Dent into what entrepreneur.com refers to as the world's leading brand accelerator. With five business acquisitions under his belt and a team of 45 across 12 time zones, Dent has shaped the trajectory of hundreds of best-selling authors, TED speakers, and multi-award winning fast growth companies. In 2021, Virgin named Dent as Business Enabler of the Year and the Growing Business Awards named them Business Advisor of the Year. Glenn's passion is helping entrepreneurs stand out, scale up and use their business to make a positive impact in the world, or as he would say, make a dent in the universe. Glenn has graciously offered all our listeners a free copy of the Key Person of Influence book, which you can grab in the show notes. And now I am stoked beyond measure to share Glenn and our time together with you. I know you'll enjoy this one. Let's roll it. Hey, thanks so much for coming on, Glenn. I'm actually really stoked to, to have you on our podcast. I'm so pretty chuffed, actually. I'm so to be here. You guys are awesome. I love the way you roll. And uh, uh, every time I come across you guys online or in the flesh, I don't know. It's refreshing. You've you've just got this great, great dynamic, great mission, great purpose. I'm a fan. Thank you. Awesome. Oh, that means heaps, heaps coming from you. Maybe we can start with what got you into the world of entrepreneurship if we start with your journey. Yeah. So, I mean, the short story is my dad retired from the Navy. I would have been about four at the time. His passion was sailing. He built a boat. We sailed around the world for seven years. So from sort of six to 14, I'm living this life of freedom and adventure and kind of like devil may care doing all this fun stuff. We get back to Australia because I was nagging to go back to school because while there was a lot of freedom, there was also a lot of isolation and, and loneliness, which I felt was exacerbated when you're a kid because it's harder to find kids to roll with than it is 
you know, other, other adults. <clears throat> and so we got back to Australia and my dad's grinding away, fixing boats. My mom's working in real estate, which is just like the worst possible fit for her personality. I end up working at McDonald's cause like what else does a kind of young kid 30 years ago do? And, and that was kind of life. And it, it, like for the first time experienced this, what felt like a lead weight of just financial pressure and, and grind and like the opposite of fun. I, I thought going back to high school was going to be like the, the show saved by the bell, which was like, ah, oh, like just, uh, um, and it wasn't, it sucked and life felt hard and I uh, felt like, you know, sort of paradise lost kind of a deal. And then dad recommended, cause I, you know, what, what did I know? I knew boats, I knew scuba diving. Dad recommended I maybe go around and offer to clean the hulls of some of the boats down at the yacht club where we were still living. Um, and so I did, and there was a, a big regatta that weekend. Right. And the thing with boats is when they've got a clean hull, they go significantly faster up to a knot or two, which is the difference between coming in in the front of the pack and the, and the back of the pack. And so I put up this little A-frame sign and made a thousand bucks in a couple of days. And, and in that two days, I made more money than I would have made working at McDonald's for a month. And that was just a force function for just changing the way I saw the world. Um, in hindsight, it wasn't so much the money. It was this sense of being able to contribute to my family. Um, but now looking back, it's like my, my dad, kind of saw boats as, as being his vehicle for freedom and adventure. It was sort of in that moment that I realized business was going to be my vehicle for freedom and adventure. There was no one telling me what to do, make up my own rules, live or die by my own sword type of a thing. And, and I felt the sovereignty of that, the personal responsibility of that was actually all very aligned to the values that I kind of learned living on a boat because when you're in the middle of an ocean, there's no one going to come and help you, right? You've you got to be totally self-reliant. And um, yeah, working for someone else didn't seem to jive with that. So I think, you know, people talk about their entrepreneur light bulb or seizure or whatever they call it. Yeah. Mine was, mine was when I was 14 under the water, <laughs> scrubbing shit off the bottom of boats. Um, and that led to the realization that if I get better at business, I get freer. Um, I get more influence. I get to have more impact. I get to have more fun. Um, there's even less people that can tell me what to do and, and how to do it. And so I, I kind of went down the rabbit hole and that rabbit hole became, you know, valuable. I was able to guide other people down the rabbit hole and, and Dan and I lined up and that's how we created what is now Dent and the key person of influence accelerator and our venture fund and all sorts of stuff. Awesome. Love it. That's awesome. I love, I love some of those themes that you've just talked about there. Like you said, contributing freedom, adventure, self-reliance, impact, fun. That's, that sounds like a real principled ethical, like a, a real cool character set coming into entrepreneurship. It wasn't like how much money can I earn and how much can I like make it were like you're, you're talking about fun and impact and, and freedom, mm -hmm. adventure, self-reliance yeah. and that sort of stuff. But to be fair though, I'm talking about that now. Remember I said on reflection mm. that that's all looking yeah. 
at the time it was like, make the money, make the money. This is like, follow the money. Um, because, uh, I don't know. I'm not much of a philosopher. I find it's, I find it's very, very hard to hold, you know, big philosophical ideas when you're broke and struggling. It gets much easier <laughs> when cash is flowing from multiple sources while you sleep, whether you work or not. It's it's very easy. So no, I didn't have that level of self-awareness, let alone, you know, set of principles then. Mm. It was just, I can make this money on my own. That was kind of the extent of it then. That was the sophistication of my... <laughs> my yeah it's evol- um, the the philosophies evolved in the in hindsight as you as you've grown up hey well i don't know did you see that steve jobs talk from stanford when he says like you can't connect the dots looking forward you can only connect the dots looking mm-hmm. back i, I kind of i mean we called the company dent as an homage to the guy right he, he said it's the role of every entrepreneur to make a dent in the universe so i'm kind of a bit of a steve jobs fanboy in a lot of ways and that really resonated like you can't connect the dots moving forward but you can connect them looking back and if you can look back and connect the dots and then find the themes and then make sure he didn't say all this but you can then choose well what are the things i'm going to do in the future that align with the themes that made me happiest in the past and that becomes the compass right so um so yeah, I suppose over the last decade, really doing a lot of work into what are those dots and what are those themes and how do I make better decisions um, to kind of guide and govern my life and now my daughter's life and and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, definitely, definitely not as a 14-year-old kid just trying to get out from under the boot of uh, of trying to survive basically financially. Well, survive's not a fair word. Just, just trying to get by as a middle-class kind of family. Yeah. yeah. Did your mom and dad, cause correct me if I'm wrong, but your mom more in the natural therapies, energy healer, Does she, is something well, like that? So yeah. So, uh, well, uh, my parents broke up when I was about 18 for all the right reasons. They've been married for 26 years, seven of those on a 40 foot fiberglass tube, um, which I think kind of counts for dog years. Right. So anyway, they broke up for good reasons. Um, and then mum kind of went on a bit of a, like what's now right for me and lit up when she found kinesiology and she was in Perth and she went down a, decade long rabbit holes. She holds a master's in applied kinesiology. Um, you know, it was a three year degree that she had to, to complete before she, you know, it's not one of these things where you go down the road and, you know, get a mail in order and you're a kinesiologist. It was a big deal. And, you know, she was seeing clients and creating kind of, yeah, remarkable transformation. So she definitely, um, she definitely holds the paradigm that as is the mind, so is everything else. Um, and you know, it's not the outside stuff. It's not the external medicine or, you know, oh, that person's toxic. And so therefore I'm sick. It's like, hang on a minute. Let's, let's recenter the Lotus of control, um, to within and then start making the best decisions outside um and using the body as a guide to try and clarify what is that kind of internal lotus what does the body need so wild 
stuff um, that she does on the table with her uh, kinesiology. Um, not she doesn't do it so much anymore. You'd call her retired, I think. Um, but but certainly those philosophies are still there. Yeah, awesome. How did how did how did that or did that reflect or cause you to look at your health in a different way? No. Well, I think while mum was going on her journey, I went on mine and, and mm. hers was more applied. Mine was more through firstly like drugs and psychedelics. And then that kind of cleanse the doors of perception, shall they say, to help me realize that, oh, there's another layer to all of this, which is undeniable. Um, and then I had a, a meditation mentor slash kind of guru of mine um, that kind of explained, I, I can't remember his words, and I think I'm plagiarizing someone else's words here, but said something along the lines of drugs are only a window. You can look through them to see what's on the other side, but they're not a door. Meditation is the door mm. um, to the same place, right? And so I'm like, huh. So then I began um, an exploration into meditation and consciousness and what is behind this sort of veil of Maya reality, whatever we want to call it. And uh, did a Vipassana, a lot of 10 day or three 10 day silent meditation retreats. So I went pretty deep, pretty fast. And, and that I suppose is what set up my own orientation to self and the seat of consciousness Um my consciousness at least. And I think from there, my uh, like uh, un, undefined health journey became, it's not like I only had any kind of great uh, epiphanies, but I guess it always gave me a bias towards uh, taking responsibility for myself as opposed to abdicating that to somewhere else, which again aligned to the stuff I suppose my mum and dad taught me on the boat. Mm, awesome. Now a lot of business owners are prone to body burnout, <laughs> juggling all the things. I think too, especially like what you talked about with the finances, it can get really stressful, even if you're doing the nine to five job or trying to create a successful business, but there's a lot of stress that comes with running the business and wearing many hats. Yeah. Do you, along your journey, have you experienced your own type of body burnout or or burnout that you'd be happy to share well it was diagnosed as like adrenal fatigue yeah. right so i'm i'm assuming that's what you're talking about like sort of thing like just yeah so um and and again so it was around the same time that we were named the ninth fastest growing company in australia i was in three states a week consistently every week 50 weeks a year for about three years so just relentless single so i could pull it off yeah. but living in airports um first name basis with most of the flight crew uh literally um so and the first dealing with the accelerated growth of a business for the first time i built businesses before and achieved results before but never the like and we're grown by another million and we've grown by another million and we've grown by another million. And it's like, okay. And try and bring on team. And now this team member's got a problem. This person saying 
they don't have that information. This person's just quit. That per da -da 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 -da, that person's burning out themselves, and and I'm to blame. And this mistake's happening. And basically, that suddenly at scale with me traveling around and not everyone being all in one spot. I've heard it defined that stress is the gap between how things are and how you want them to be. Um, and, and the more kind of emotional buy-in you have to that gap is the degree or is stress, right? So the more pissed off you are that thing I was that, that things weren't how I wanted them to be. That basically is that, that gap is kind of how I now think about stress. Whereas the Buddha would have just been more like, meh, no stress. Whereas I'm like, ah, why won't they just do it the way I want it to be done? Why is this happening this way instead of this way that I would prefer it to be happening? Like stress, ignorant, didn't know this at the time, um, hadn't experienced it before, uh, didn't kind of have the advice to preempt it. And so I think I massively underestimated the psychic burn of energy that that had 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like I was just used to, oh, I, I burn energy when I'm moving physically. And if I go for a big run, I'll be tired and maybe a bit the next day, et cetera. As opposed to this constant, relentless drain of energy that it's kind of like if I, because I didn't realize that that was this creating this extra deficit, I didn't know I needed to be doing additional stuff on top to counter that. And it ended up to the point where you know, I got a margin call <laughs> on that deficit that I, that I couldn't cover. And I, I was just, I was burnt out. I was in the ground, not in the ground, but I was, I was exhausted. I was burnt out and I, I didn't care anymore. Like I'd lost, I'd lost my ability to care about anything. Cause I was just, I was a dried sponge at that point. Um, burnt out. Okay. That was burnout. That was my, that was my only real experience of burnout. Yeah. How did you, did you have any physical symptoms showing up as with that as well? Like, was it just exhaustion? Mostly anxiety. anxiety uh, yeah. I think it was mostly anxiety, uh, like high functioning. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, probably quite bloated. Um, so I think I was, yeah, I was probably eating a lot of carbs at the time. And so I was probably carrying a lot of extra weight and bloat. Yeah. Um, physical symptoms like, oh man, I can't remember. This is a little while ago now. Um, I'd say I just would have been chronically tired and probably grouchy. Yeah. Um, yeah and like not very clever, not very smart, like finding that my decisions were not particularly holistic or wise and, and I've, I was, I'd probably collapsed down to the bare minimum of what my brain could handle at that point, which was, you know, re responding to systemic issues at a tactical level, which is just a recipe for perpetuating the problem yeah, and accelerating that. it. Yeah. So more like that, I didn't have like, well, I don't know, whatever other symptoms might pop up, but that, that was the main stuff. Mm. So root causes looking back with more hindsight and wisdom. So lots of stuff going on, big growth. You talked about the stress. What was that that you said? Cause that was great. The stress. What you oh, want. The gap. 
the gap between are. what yeah the gap between what because i think it was um so the core of vipassana meditation is to th see things how they are not how you want them to be mm. right which which is this notion of relinquishing attachment to something you have zero control of, which is the universe manifesting itself in front of you, right? Like, you know, you people get upset because of the weather. It's like, what a wild thing to get upset about because no control of it, right? And so, yeah, when I heard it once defined that the, the degree to which you have buy into that gap, that is stress. The, the, the more you have, the more emotional attachment you have to the gap um and to like it needs to be different for me to be okay mm. stress so i guess root cause would be for me now is whenever i see myself getting rigidly attached to the way something needs to be um two things either a i, I consciously choose to unravel for that or if i actually do want the universe to look like that i need to realize that there is an additional cost of that stress in the short, short term while I might lean into changing the changing my world, if that makes sense. So it's not so much that my, my insight is not so much that stress is wrong or that I should not accept stress in the pursuit and, and my rigid attachment to the way things I want things to be in my pursuit of making things happen. But when I do, I need to aware, be aware that that's part of the equation and do the things to offset that deficit. Mm, yeah. Okay. So what did you do then? Like to recover from adrenal fatigue? Is that just the awareness? Mostly, and mostly alcohol. Oh, oh, hang on. That causes <laughs> adrenal fatigue as well. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Kombucha? <laughs> uh, well, um, to a large degree, cut out alcohol, re-engineered the business so I wasn't traveling on an airplane uh, all the time, um, realized that I was very bad at delegating and had to learn how to do that effectively, which over time fundamentally transformed the nature of the business, meaning I wasn't the bottleneck and it could run on its own, which radically reduced the amount of pressure that was on me. So a, a few of the things were uh, strategically business-related that – it wasn't possible to continue to, to run the business in the way I was running it and to not be stressed because to be the bottleneck of a business of that size is just too much throughput, not, not able to handle it. I wasn't able to handle it. Um, so reorganizing the business so other people could do good work was a big one. And then um, for me, it was like a protocol of sort of fitness uh, supplements half yearly blood work to try and balance that up. Uh, I did a whole bunch of like allergy testing with food to see what my body preferred, et cetera, which I didn't really follow. Like it said, I shouldn't eat eggs and tomatoes. I'm like, they're my favorite things. So I decided I was going to make it work without, while ignoring that whole, that whole rabbit hole. And I, I seem to have, um, I have a lot to say about allergy testing. I think okay, great. Actually, well, yeah, no, I'm totally cool with you just eating eggs and tomato. I think that was a great choice. Yeah. If you felt fine on it, eating well, them. Well, I was, 
I was going to feel restricted, right? So again, if I'm waking up going, I should be having like eggs and tomato for breakfast at avocado, which is like my favorite, and I'm not allowed to do that. The stress yeah. of that gap I decided was going to be more than any of the consequence of eating it. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I placed my bets. Um, so no, a combination of rethinking the business uh, for better to to be a, an actual leveraged vehicle as opposed to me being the leverage and it being the vehicle which is which is not scalable um and self-care i guess those those two things were the were the fix and i think one of those things without the other wouldn't have worked all the self-care in the world with a broken business yeah not going to fix it and a good business without the self-care go the other way. You could become big, fat and indulgent and end up dying of a heart attack or like that, which I see. Um, You know, I see, I see successful business owners get comfortable and big, sloppy. Um, Mm. Love it. Did you have anything you wanted to bring up? I just just wrote those two things down, self-care and leverage. It sounds like a recipe for taking back control where you can control. Hey, like, you talked a lot about um, just before you can sometimes get stressed out worrying about things that you can't control. You can't control if somebody else is getting burned out in your team or if they've got issues and situations, but what you can control is your own self-care, your own management skills and that sort of stuff. So I guess you just described a really neat Mm. paradigm for recovery, I think. That said, maybe some nuance. I actually can control whether other people get burnt out in my team. That's all systems mm, culture yeah. and uh, and good good management um, and caring. Uh, the, the signals of burnout are pretty obvious. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I disagree with that because uh, I, like I used it. to have a business that burnt people out quarterly, mm. which would mm. which would radically increase the likelihood that they would have to resign just for their own you know, well-being, um, okay. even if that's didn't why they didn't know they were doing it. So no, part of the business redesign was about making sure the systems were in place to be able to know whether or not someone was over capacity or not. Um, and so if they were stressed or burning out, it was not a function of them being overloaded in their role. Yeah. I love it. I yeah. love that. That's really cool. That is cool. That's responsibility too. Yeah, you're you're stepping up, being responsible for what you can control, what yeah. what's in your in yeah, your skill that's right. set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are certain things. That, so there's there's um th- there needed to be this line in the middle because there's kind of what you can control, there's what you can't control, but it's important. Sometimes people take that as a oh well, if I can't immediately control it right now with my current knowledge, experience, and resources, then I can't do anything with it. Yeah. And they forget that there's what you can influence, right? Which is kind of like the gray zone between the two, but realistically that fits into what you can control, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you might not be able to control it hundred percent, but you can certainly influence it. Um, so I, I kind of see it as there's what you can control easily right now, like the TV remote or, you know, your credit card or whatever it is. There's what you can influence, which is the health of your team, which kind of requires a little more negotiation perhaps, and then there's what you can't control, right? Which is, you know, what decisions a political leader is going to make next. Mm, yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about anyone watching this on YouTube, key person of influence. So Chris uh-huh. and I, 
So this is one of your um, business accelerator programs yeah. under Dent Global. Chris and I actually did um, Key Person of Influence. Did Ooh, it. We started. Smashed we, it. A smash uh, Thank you. Uh, when did we start that? 2021 Jan. So this was a year into COVID and we were, life was not great back then for us, hey? I mean, probably on the outside, people didn't really, you know, we weren't sharing a lot, but we were burnt out mm. in a way, mm. especially business-wise. Um, COVID led to the opportunity of shutting down one business, but then we put all our eggs into Chris and Philly Functional Medicine and things weren't working the way that we were expecting or hoping it to be. We're going to take <laughs> over the world. <laughs> And we're like, we need some help here. So this is where we reached out to you um, and we started Key Person of Influence Program. So for anyone who isn't aware of KPI program, can you give a bit of an overview of what that is? Uh, yeah, well, it is built around that book that you were just holding up. So the, the fundamental premise of the notion of, of becoming a key person of influence is that trust is an incredibly important equation in any business trust needs to be built on the front end for people to be able to uh, spend money and, and get involved. And most business owners are building trust in very analog ways, right? Sitting down one meeting after another, et cetera, et cetera. You have this other category of founders that are very much leading from the front. They're very public. Um, you can think the Richard Branson's, the Elon Musk's, the Oprah Winfrey's, the, you know, you could even think of the Simon Sinek's, the Tim Ferris's, the Gary V's, et cetera, just as, as broad characterizations, I think that anyone can kind of get their head around where they are the expression of their business's vision and values and value proposition. And as a result, they build trust at scale right? Using digital assets, media, technology, all this sort of stuff that they're, they're, they're conversing to a global audience kind of in real time. Um, and as a result, they do a lot of business because they're reaching a, a much more powerful audience. And so um, the key person of influence accelerator is built around this idea that if we can enhance the visibility uh, and the clarity of message of the founder of a business, that is the unfair advantage. That becomes the force multiplier that allows that business to grow significantly. So we'll often work with businesses that are already good at what they do. They get referrals. They might have a couple of team, et cetera, but they've plateaued, flatlined. They're not pulling a great wage out of it. And they're frankly a bit invisible. Their marketing strategy is functional at best you know, 10 years old, out of date, if you like, at best. And they're kind of buried in their business doing more of the work than they are representing the brand. And our whole argument is that's got to end. The the founder is the only person that can represent the brand as the founder. Um, you can hire a manager, you can hire a salesperson, you can hire a head of operations, you can hire someone for delivery, but you cannot hire the founder to perform that visionary role as the key person of influence. And so because of that, we sort of argue that, look, if we were sitting on your board of advisors, we would say that you doing anything else than that super high value activity. And, and we break it down in the book around pitching, publishing thought leadership, scaling products, raising the profile and credibility of, of the business and the products and the brand. 
and doing partnerships with big players, like those are the big five. If you're spending the majority of your time doing anything outside those five categories, it's a bad use of your time. It's an irresponsible deployment of capital, et cetera. So that's a message that usually resonates and lands to a, to a, you know, enough of a portion of the market that we built an accelerator around it where we have a, you know, it's a structured program, there's accountability, there's mentoring, there's guidance, because it's not like, oh, we're just going to show you how to run Facebook ads to take someone on a journey to really becoming a visible leader in their industry. It, it really requires a, a cultural environment to inspire that. Um, you can get anyone to do Facebook ads for you, but to really learn how to, to lead um, as someone in your industry visibly, which freaks out the monkey brain, no end. Um, the, the probably the most valuable layer of what we do beyond all of our growth systems is the, is the community. And so we kind of bottle it, bottle it all up. And, and that's the key person of influence accelerator. Yeah. Um, actually this book, which I will put a link in the show notes, if anyone wants to grab a free copy, Hey, of the key person of influence book. Um, but this was the first business book or marketing marketing book that I read. I hated marketing and sales. Like I was just like, I don't want to know any about this business stuff. I just love doing what I do and I love helping people. And then Chris is like, read this. And I read it and every page I'm like, I could do this. This like, it felt good. It felt good. It didn't feel kind of like the way I saw sales and marketing felt a bit icky and salesy, but but this was just like, just show up and shine and share your message because you genuinely want to help people. And then you package that all up into a process that actually works. Yeah. It's the, it's the hunter versus the gardener approach. Like, do you want to, do you want to be going out hunting butterflies all the time? Or do you want to grow a garden that just attracts them in? Um, And most of the people that we work with, they don't want to be the hunt. They don't have to chase new business all the time. So it's like, okay. So then what is the ecosystem? Nature loves ecosystems and ecosystems are attractive. So, you know, if you wanted to have lots of butterflies in your garden, you could go to a gardener and find out, well, what are the plants you need to plant that are going to attract butterflies? Um, It's the same with clients, right? You just work out, all right, what are the things that I need to build in my business ecosystem that are going to attract clients and how do I put some layers in there so it builds trust and authority, like winning awards and getting featured in the media and, you know, a few of these sorts of things. And it doesn't, doesn't happen straight away, but over time that ecosystem starts to compound and spool up like a real flywheel. And all of a sudden, you know, people are two, three, four years into it. And all of a sudden their whole business and life is unrecognizable compared to what it was early. Mm. Cause when the mindset shifts from just what I was doing, I'm just going to put activity in my business and, and I am going to be, um, one of the things that I, I talk about is, is that the job of a business is, is to deliver all this great output. The degree to which that business is broken is the degree to which the founder has to compensate with their time and energy. So I was compensating with a lot of my time and energy. What we teach in our accelerators is actually the thing to do is to work out what's the missing asset here. Mm. Like what's the problem with the business? 
What's the missing thing we would need to build that would perpetually solve that problem? And that just compounds because once it's built, it's built, it's done. And, mm. and then we can build the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, which becomes unlimited in terms of leverage that can be built as opposed to if I was still limited by the amount of time and energy that I had in a day, I'd be very constrained. And so I, I think the accelerator helps a get people out of their own way, B shift from a operator mentality to an owner mentality, but more with the community gives them like the courage, the permission. I don't know. You have to tell me to, the evidence as well. It's like the yeah. evidence. I think there evidence. were so many stories where I'm like, that's how we feel yeah. when we first start. And then it's like, oh yeah. my gosh, like three years in completely different. Yeah. Um, so it also, oh, it's, a wild, it's a, it's a wild, it's a wild thing to see because yeah. it's so much bigger than me now. Like, as you well know, I'm not the guru. There's a whole ecosystem of, of wisdom kind of coming from it. So I get to now see it as a thing separate to me, which is pretty wild. Mm. That's cool. So everything that you just said to like, and I've experienced it personally, but becoming a KPI, how does that help business owners get out of the hustle and grind and essentially escape? Burnout? Yeah, well, it's or basic economics and see, um, and I'll, I'll, I will, I will explain. I don't sort of say that as a glib comment, but most people are running around in business without a fundamental understanding of like the laws of nature, if you like, like the, the laws of capitalism. Mm. Um, one is like supply and demand where people like to think about ways to make their business better, but they tend to default that thinking to how to deliver better value to a customer. So that could include how to hire a better team to do that, how to have a great culture. So their clients team like showing up every day, how to get feedback loops and net promoter scores to optimize, you know, the, the customer experience, which sounds like a noble goal. And of course it's the ticket to the game, but the problem is what, what that is in fact doing is building excess capacity, which is another way of saying building excess supply. You're working out how to create like really lots and lots of supply to the market. The law of supply and demand, the foundation of you know economic principles, is if that supply is less than the available demand of people that want to buy not just the market, but your particular thing, doesn't matter how good you are at delivering value, you will not make money. You might make revenue, but you won't make profit because the, the market is um, uh, distributing that elsewhere. And so part of becoming the key person of influence is it, it creates a force function where you have to see the other side, where really the key person of influence primary job is the manufacturer of demand, right? How, how do I position myself and the brand of my organization where there is always more people wanting to do business with us than we have capacity for, which equals profit, right? It's, it's the only way that profits get realized in a business and that can be engineered. That's not luck. That is by design, right? Um, and most people don't go around waking up in the morning thinking about sales and marketing. They think about tinkering with how to improve their business. And so I guess the number one thing we do is, is we create a bit of a, a cultural resistance 
to not get caught into the trap of just optimizing delivery and to start optimizing the system that manufactures demand, right? So that would be one key thing that just, just understanding a basic fundamentals of supply and demand. It's like, okay, we've always got to have more demand. And as we're scaling, we've got to be scaling demand first. Again, people like to scale supply first and then wonder why growth sucks so much cash and isn't profitable. It's because they haven't front loaded the demand um, as, as step one in their strategy. That's the first piece. The second piece piece is that again, the way capitalism tends to work is resources will tend to be placed where they are most efficient. Right. So, so you're all priced in a way where they're most efficient, Like you're not going to go and pay $10,000 for a hammer government might be, but you won't. Cause you're like, well, that, that doesn't make any sense. I'd use a brick if I had to, to get the job done. So, so it tends to eat, equilibrate. So if a business owner is really just showing up as a manager, right, they're doing management work in their business and I jump on seat or, a, you know, a, a job finder website, it's, it's a seek in Australia, but for your international uh, audience, I can find a manager for like call it 110 grand a year for a business doing under how do they expect to grow a multi-million dollar business doing the work of $110,000 answer to that is they can't, um, they have to move themselves up the organization hierarchy into the rarefied air of doing the stuff that only they can do as the founder, right? Like Elon Musk can't hire someone to be the evangelist for Tesla or for SpaceX uh, in the way that he can, right? The same with Branson. Like there's this certain thing that can't be ex it can't be delegated. You can't hire for it. Um, and it's vision, it's values, it's value proposition, right? It's really getting clear on that and the, and the strategy and the the courage to make the big decisions and pull off the big plays, etc everything else can be delegated. And so then the question becomes, well, okay, if I want to spend more time up in that level of real influence and not in my business, what are the skills I need to master? And our argument is you need to be great at pitching and communicating value and, and changing the way people think, right? Paradigm building is pitch. You need to be seen as credible, which is publishing. You need to be scalable beyond your time, which is productizing. You need to have a good profile, which is basically showing up in a way that other people want to leverage you through their, to their audience, whether it's on mainstream media or Joe Rogan or your podcast or, or whatever it is. And then finally partnerships, like th these big partnerships, big deals. This is the realm of the key person of influence. And if you apply a better pitch, published content, products, profile, and partnerships to any good business, they're going to make it great, right? You can't argue. No one can argue, oh, better communication ain't going to help my business. Um, it's like they're obvious. And yet when you audit people on um, how much of their time is going to those things, it's very, very small. They're definitely caught um, in the weeds, which sort of circles back to my first point that I was making where when I'm burnt out and tired, 
my perspective shrinks, my ability to influence shrinks, my ability to think shrinks, I get all tactical and I start responding to systemic problems with, with tactical solutions, which doesn't work. And so, you know, I think what you do is great because on one side, we work to elevate thinking and strategy and, and action and you guys support it with the self-care, the wellness to make sure that, you know, there's, there's fuel in the tank to burn. Cause I really do think like if you, if you don't have the self-care, the energy, the clarity, the ability to stay in front of the, the stress of, you know, the, the chaos of business, you just can't think as well, Like you can't think big. And so then you just, you kind of constrained by your own level of energy, regardless of how much you'd want it to be different. Mm. It's hard to see big picture when your, your world is on fire. It's, yeah. it's not safe. It's scary. It's frustrating. Yeah. Nervous it's system is right? just like, mm. You said before, oh, what did you say? Oh, becoming a key person of influence freaks some people out. <laughs> so a lot of that comes back to like deeper roots of self-doubt, imposter, monster, you know, those labels. Um, and actually we find too that deeper root, deepest, deeper, deeper, deepest root causes of why someone's body burns out in the first place often comes back to these dysfunctional beliefs we have simmering underneath. I had a consult with someone recently who was constipated. <laughs> and when we broke it down, it actually was because she wasn't, she was blocked up and not, and too scared to show up as herself. And mm. so- Holding on to her crap, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> so what are your thoughts around that? Because I'm sure you get that objection quite a lot. Yeah. Like, how do you work through these feelings of not being good enough? Can I do it? We Whether don't. it's business or anything. Yeah, we don't. We, we have a bit of a shortcut, um, which is our, our argument is that actually it's not uh, being, being afraid of doing the thing that you're here to do in the world um, and not taking the actions required to do it. We say that's less of a function of your mindset and it's more of a function of your environment. The analogy I use is this, let's say you're a great coder, right? Like, like super good at coding websites and freaking, you know, large language models and all that sort of stuff. And you're home alone, middle of COVID in your parents' basement, never seeing the light of day. It's predictable that one's level of motivation is probably going to drop in that environment. Um, and then there's a multi-billion dollar industry that's like, you got to go to Tony Robbins or like, you got to go get your head right and childhood wounds and all this sort of stuff. Now, I'm not saying that's not true, but what I'm also saying is let's say they did need to go to Tony Robbins and they did have childhood wounds and they were constipated and all this stuff, but you still put them on a private jet, took them to Google, put them on a crack team working on some cool new project. What's going to happen to their level of motivation and performance? And our argument is nine times out of 10, 99 times out of a hundred, what's going to happen is that person is going to be as part of a team is going to feel so much more connected, so much more aligned, so much more inspired. They're going to have that banter. Everyone's got a common vision and purpose. They've all got a combined skill set, which comes together where the product of the whole is greater than some of the parts. And all of a sudden, despite their childhood wounds, they become successful. 
And we see this, right? People join a gym, people try and get fit on YouTube videos versus showing up three times a week to a CrossFit box, right? Or whatever. Um, you know, when I, for jujitsu, right? There's no way I'm, I'm getting these outcomes training on my own. Um, at the surf club, um, same deal. You could think of like a science laboratory, right? People at home doing science. No, people coming together with like a lab and the tools and the resources and the culture and the accountability and all this stuff. And all of a sudden stuff's being created. So our whole thing was we don't have the experience to try and fix all the childhood wounds. That's not our thing, but we can create an environment. And there's another layer of this is that if you've got an environment, so big things are things like publishing books and winning awards and getting featured in the media and speaking a public message. If you're coming from a friendship circle, family and friendship circle where people are not doing that, and by definition, you're going to have, you're going to have to do something that is not part of the current culture of your tribe. That is the biggest alarm bell that is built into our neurology over a hundred thousand years. I align to the tribe because if you're kicked out of your tribe, you're doomed. And so we restrict all sorts of behavior to conform with social norms. And our social norms are really constrained around our closest family and closest friends. So my argument is that if you've got a community that is not actively producing and doing all the stuff that you want to be doing, that is where you're going to experience the imposter monster, right? Because the imposter monster is I'm not doing what's right for my community. So what's the thing to do? Will you either change your values to align with the community, which is I'm not going to win awards or be featured in the media or stand up or do something. I'm going to get a job and, hate my life and, you know, be resentful to my wife behind the scenes or husband or whatever it is and just live in that morass. Or I'm going to change my environment and I'm going to start hanging out with more people that are doing that to the point where when I'm surrounded by enough of a critical mass of those people to not be doing that stuff triggers the fear of being kicked out of the tribe. And so now we can use that primal blueprint type thing to actually drive us to create the things that we were once afraid of doing. And so we can kind of hack our psychology, if you like, to not ignore the childhood wounds, but to accelerate despite them and to hopefully give us some more time and resources to, to do justice to a real spiritual journey if you mm. like a real, a real journey of introspection. Um, Cause I find the two are different. I find mm. business growth doesn't require a, a personal journey. It requires a business community of performers that you're aligned with. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're not going to get that there aren't huge life goals that are linked to happiness and well-being that come from the inner deep dive. I just don't see enough evidence that one equals the other. Whereas I do see a lot of evidence. I see a lot of evidence of unhealthy people that are messed up becoming insanely successful in business simply because they're rolling with all the right people. Mm. Right? So if you can sit there and go, okay, how do I optimize myself for my, my business and wealth creation? 
and how do I then also optimize myself for my health and well-being? Then you end up with an entirely different, and I would say far more inspiring and influential creature. Yeah, that's cool. That's just, that's just me. I I I resonate with that. Mm. Being in the right place with the right people who are doing things that maybe you find scary or challenging, you you increase your capacity by osmosis a little bit. Hey, like you can. Yeah, I, I, we know this. You know this. You, you know this for joining a gym or joining a training or joining any kind of a help. And I say that in the best possible way that, that has a strong culture, you align to that culture and you just do. And it's easier to align to something that other people are aligning to, right? It's very hard to be the Jesus of the world that just totally stands up in opposition to the culture. It's very hard to be like the Gandhi or the Mandela that kind of goes to jail for 30 years or whatever on, on principle and then comes out and ends up running the country. Like these are the rare few that can, you know, suffer the slings and arrows in total isolation. We, we, we just know human beings are better in tribes. And so the choice of tribe becomes really important. It used to be, you know, you're a Muslim or you're a Christian and those are the two tribes we've got and we're going to go to war over it. So that's not the world now. Now we can choose all these nuanced, you know, little subgroups, subreddits, if you like, that we can be a part of where we actually get to choose the, the different layers of operating system that define us. And that's wild in terms of the times that we're in, because, you know, a lot of that stuff doesn't need to be physical. It can absolutely be virtual, right? Jiu-jitsu, I kind of need to be able to go down the road to do it, right? Um, but there's actually a lot of rabbit holes I can go down that are going to absolutely make that experience even better. Um, there's lots of things where it's not necessary. And these, these tribes, if you like, are, are virtual. And they're changing people's lives in all sorts of different ways and areas, not just, not just business and health. And I think, you know, I, I think that of all things, given kind of what we've just been discussing, puts a smack bang in the middle of like the wildest time to, to be alive. This, put, can a, I, put AI on top of all that and it's like, wow. <laughs> can I just say, like address this to the listeners. There might be you, you listener, dear listener, might not be ready to embark on a personal development journey and lab testing and all that sort of stuff, but but you've got a business or you're thinking of starting a business and you want to be in a better place. So being surrounded by people who are successful in their businesses, I think that's what you're saying, hey, Glenn, like that is the shortcut to business success, being in the right place, right time right people. Well, that's right my process. argument. Right yeah. process. Uh, but I'm not saying it should be one or another. In fact, I think my whole argument is it, it really should be both or, you, yeah. or you're in trouble, right? Because eventually one will unbalance the other and it's not hard or difficult to do both. And if you are in any way sick or tired, but if your car's not working and you've never ever taken it for a service, mm. right? We, we take our cars for a service every 10,000 Ks. Like that, that's, that's what blood work is. It's like have a bit of a look under the bonnet and let's see what's really going on. Cause often there's stuff that goes on well before the little light goes on in the dash. 
right? And so we get to avoid the rattles and the squeaks by just kind of being in front of the leading indicators. And as humans, we just, we can't see the leading indicators of our own health, right? Science can see them, blood work can see them, except stool tests can see them. Um, you know, and so we have a culture of we wait until the symptoms manifest, which could have easily not had to happen had we just decided that we we're going to be a bit in front of it. Business is no different. Mm. Right? We want to, we want to be dialed into the leading indicators of what's working, what, what's going to work and what are the leading indicators that are going to make it work. And what are the leading indicators that tell us we're off track, right? Cause I want to know that we're going off track before we're off track. Mm-hmm. Um, it. So it's kind of the same mindset uh, that, that I apply at least to health than I do now to business. Like you can often drill these things back to, the similar first principles. That's what we right. do with our scorecard. We we we, we oh, have yeah. a scorecard, scorecard assessment where by Glenn Carlson. Yeah. Score up. Yeah. <laughs> um a little plug there as well. <laughs> oh, scorecard yeah. marketing, another book. Yep. Scorecard marketing. <laughs> we might put that one in the show notes too. <laughs> so what's the website exactly, Glenn? I know what ours is. Scoreapp.com. Score uh it's brilliant. So we we Wait. love using it because it because okay. it Fully AI integrated now. So now you can go in and GPT will simply like we've, we're plugged directly into the the language model. So it, it'll prompt you with a couple of questions and what used to take people days to build a scorecard. It now spits out in about six minutes. That's awesome. Wow. And we, we use our scorecard as a preemptive questionnaire to, to see what those leading indicators are mm. that lead someone yeah. to body burnout. 100%, right? Yeah. Because what you're trying to do is, is your score scorecard is the x-ray, right? It's, it's helping someone understand the stuff that they can't obviously see for themselves. Cause if they could obviously see it for themselves, they wouldn't need you. It's like, oh, the broken arm. I don't need you to tell me I've got a broken arm. I can go in and, and get that fixed as opposed to, oh, you're chronically low in magnesium. We know that that has a hormonal cascade into all these other areas. And that leads to the very set of symptoms that you're experiencing. We should probably remedy for that or whatever, right? It's like, oh, okay. Or... Or like, oh, yeah, I'm in front of my phone at night until 11 o'clock and then can't sleep very well and I'm up again at 2 o'clock. Right? Again, doesn't need a blood test to know that, okay, potentially there are some some things that can be fixed here. Yeah. Um, and, and it signals potentially some misunderstandings about what health is and what's needed to keep it on track. Yeah, we've actually had a few people reply back to their email result and they're like, I didn't think things were so bad, but obviously my score is saying they are. I'm like, great, it's perfect time to start working on things before things get worse. Well, that's potentially the good thing to pre-frame, right? So they're going into it knowing like, you know, this is going to reveal things that you don't think are a thing. And that's the point, right? The point of this scorecard is to reveal the things that aren't a thing now, but are going to be a thing in three years or two years or whatever it is because that that train is coming yeah 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 (laughs) awesome oh it's been so good so good catching up and chatting and getting your words of wisdom and glenn always just has such good 
cool insights. Nuggets. Like just like, oh, I didn't think about that like that. And oh, we've got, got Chris two, has scribbled down I, lots of stuff. I'm a note taker <laughs> and and I've just like uh, personal three three pages of of little Glen Glenisms. <laughs> So is is there any last words of wisdom you'd like to leave to our listeners around getting out of the hustle and grind burnout cycle or anything else you'd like to add? Um, well, I would say that it's kind of not negotiable. Um, I would say that if you're even listening to this or if there, there's even a seed that your health should be in a better state than it is, or your finances or business should be in a better state than it is to not act on that with every fiber of your being. It is predictable that you're going to live a life of misery and regret because it will just keep coming back to you every single day, reminding you that you're not doing the very things that you know you should be doing. Um, and that is a, a more dire cost than any of the the pain the challenge the discomfort the fear the uncertainty of solving the health problem and solving the business problem and so i think again when one explores the second and third tier consequence of inaction like just get after it it is fair though that one should probably be brave uh have fun and direct all of their energy to make a dent in the universe. Um, and if not for you, then for your kids. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> I love it. All right. So good. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Philly. Thanks for having no me. No worries. Well, we'll stick around Glenn, but, oh, uh, thanks so right. much everybody for, for tuning into our podcast episode. We will chat to you on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. We so appreciate you. If you'd like to give us extra smiles, drop us a review and spread the love by sharing this episode. You can also rate your own state of burnout and the root cause contributors by taking our ending body burnout assessment on our website. And if you're interested in learning about our group or one-on-one -on -one ending body burnout programs, shoot us a DM via Instagram or Facebook. Have, Have the, the best, best day, day ever. ever. <laughs>